Welcome to Bedtime Story Adventure 2020, Children's Urban Fantasy, one chapter a day up until Christmas. Chapter 18, Portal Talk. After Jenny disappeared behind the post box, James suddenly felt rather exposed. Come on, he said, lugging the heavy bag with the book inside, let's move somewhere a little less conspicuous. The bishop let out a sigh from the window sill. I'm not sure I can move. Dragging you through the air has quite exhausted me. James scooped up the bird with his free hand. The chain that had held it captive on the lectern was still attached to the bishop's foot. It was secured by a thick wire, but nothing that a good pair of wire cutters couldn't solve. On the other side of the small parking area, a fire escape with a ladder partially concealed the side door to the next shop. There was a little doorstep to sit on, and the fire escape above gave them a bit of cover from any passing pigeons that might want to spy on them. James sat down, and a security light hummed to life. He coaxed the bishop into perching on a low rung of the ladder. Cece trotted over and snuggled back into James's coat pocket. James opened the duffel bag and pulled out the portal book. It was as big as a cereal box, bound in some kind of dark leather with strange patterns stitched around the edges. In the centre of the cover was a small round shallow depression made of something grey and hard. He opened the book. There was a soft creak of leather and old glue. The first page was a mass of coloured lines. It reminded him of the map that Jenny had found over summer. Indecipherable page of nonsense, the bishop said. I have no idea what it means. James turned the thin page carefully. The next page had a short string of Chinese symbols right in the middle. The title page. It means portal. You can read Chinese, James asked. I wouldn't be any good at studying that book if I couldn't, the bird said. I studied many years ago, on a mission to China. A mission? Were you a soldier? Religious mission, the bird said. Didn't convert any birds, but I did have a great time. Anyway, skip forward a few pages. Find the first bookmark. James felt along the top of the book and found a series of pages had been marked. He opened the book at the first marking. The bookmark was a thin leather rope, with a small black figure tied to the bottom. It was hard and shiny and shaped like a leaf. The bottom edge of the leaf was at an odd angle. James held it up to the light, and it had a dark purple sheen. In front of him, on the open pages, was a table of drawings and notes. One of the drawings looked a lot like the leaf bookmark. The bookmark is an ink stick, the bishop said. Common in China and India too. You grind the end of it with a little water to make ink. And the ink controls how high the portal is. It is one factor. Summoning a portal is not a simple task. There are many things that can affect the process. Ink, paper, size, stroke, pressure, all have an impact. Not to mention the word or symbol itself. And the skill of the portal master. Portal master? James's mind leapt straight to an old computer game. I'm quite surprised that you managed to do it at all. I think it has something to do with the word you chose, home. 
and the word or symbol controls what's on the other side of the portal. Yes, although there is some subtlety there as well. Where are those mountains? Tibet, the bird said wistfully. The foothills of the Himalayas, where the keys to the air were made. They look pretty big for foothills, James said. So where else can the portal lead to? Anywhere, as long as you know the right quill strokes. Are they in here? James flipped through the pages. There must have been over a thousand of them. Some are, some aren't. For example, the closest one I could find to here was London. But along with the portal books were local guides. There used to be a map tucked into the back cover that could give fine-tuned symbols for the local area. We found a map last summer, James said, but there wasn't any Chinese writing on it. Wasn't there? The bird sounded surprised. Sometimes you have to get through the plumage to find the real colour of the bird underneath. The light went out suddenly, and James froze. Then he remembered it was a security light and kicked his foot out to set it off. After a few attempts, the light flickered back on. On the bird's command, James opened the book to the other bookmarks. Each one was an ink stick of a different shape, leaf, snake, orchid, cloud and eagle. And the pages marked by each described in great detail the factors that could affect the portal. James listened intently as the bishop explained what he had learned. There were plenty of gaps in the bird's knowledge, but for a beginner like James it was more than enough. So the size that I draw the symbol can change the size of the portal, he asked. The size, yes, and also the shape. And the temperament. It's quite complex. A neutral portal will allow passage in both directions. But an angry portal may be one way only. The idea of an angry portal did not appeal to James at all. There was not quite as much content in the book as James had first thought. About a third of the pages toward the back were blank. For complicated portal summoning, the bishop said, not for rudimentary practice. After a few more leg kicks to activate the light, James had heard enough theory and knew that he would learn more quickly through actual practice. It was much more complicated than he imagined. Even the speed of the stroke mattered. It controlled the time it took for the portal to appear, which could be reduced to less than a second by an experienced portal master. James thought that he drew the home symbol pretty quick, but apparently he was actually rather slow. There you are, Jenny stepped into the parking area. We need to get moving. I don't want to be late back, especially because we'll need to be out again tomorrow. James put the book away and passed the bag to Jenny. When he stood up, he could still feel the effects of gravity working harder than normal to keep him on the ground. With the bishop happily perched on the front of the duffel bag, they set off on the walk home. On the way, Jenny gave him the details that she had learned from Claudia. As usual, Elf had managed to get herself into a difficult position, and it seemed, as usual, that she was going to need some help to get out of it. This latest chapter in Elf's story started after she had stolen the silver nib from a monastery in Tibet. Knowing that it could well be part of the key to the air, she had sent it to James, partly to keep it safe, and partly because she believed that the feather part of the key was hidden in the royal pavilion. Stealing the nib had caused some trouble for Elf, who found that she needed to make a quick getaway. 
Having a wolf, a snake, and a cat as her travelling companions meant that she could not use regular transports. And, unfortunately for Elf, the alternative method that had helped her get to Tibet had been arranged by the very monastery that she had stolen from. This put her in the unenviable position of having to hitch a ride halfway across the world, which, apart from being dangerous, was extremely slow-going indeed. Her luck improved, or so she thought, in Kathmandu, where she made contact with a travelling circus that was about to embark on a tour of Europe. After explaining to the leader of the circus that she needed to get back to Brighton, Elf secured them a place in the circus, agreeing that she and the animals would perform in exchange for safe travel. This all worked out well until they reached the port of Mumbai, where, after becoming friends with the circus leader, Elf mentioned the Green Hands gang in conversation. It was after that that things went downhill. The circus leader was, of course, the ringmaster, who tricked Elf into persuading Grauf and Rask and Claudia to split up. It was a ploy to capture the snake as a hostage, send Claudia away to wherever the kidnapped animals were sent, and use Elf and Grauf as performing slaves. But Claudia escaped and warned Elf about what was going on. When Grauf found out, he went berserk and attacked the ringmaster. But she was clever. Even with the wolf's jaws around her neck, she calmly explained her actions. The snake was fine, but only as long as the ringmaster stayed healthy. She had stowed the snake on board a boat that had already set sail into the Arabian Sea. If the boat didn't hear from the ringmaster, it would complete its journey and take Rask to a destination from where there is no return. Only if they reached Brighton and completed their performances would the ringmaster release the snake and Elf and Grauf would be free to do as they pleased. Elf talked Grauf out of ending the ringmaster's life there and then. She argued that a few months of performances were worth Rask's life. Claudia followed the circus at a distance, eventually communicating with Elf through Cece. That's how Claudia found out about the watch list and how Elf made the connection with her missing parents. Until one night, just as they reached Brighton, the other monkeys followed Cece and attacked the cat, almost killing her. Hang on, James said as they crossed London Road and turned early to avoid Preston Park. It's a bit of a coincidence that Elf just happened on the circus that might have kidnapped her parents. I agree, Jenny said. Claudia was convinced that Elf isn't double-crossing us, though, and I believe her. And is there any way to get Elf a message? Claudia's hope was that we could send a message through Cece. She didn't know that Cece had run away. So Elf believes that if they just finish the Ringmaster's performances in Brighton, they'll be reunited with Rask. Sounds a bit trusting. They didn't have much of a choice, Jenny said, and being around the ringmaster for so long has put them in a much better position to free Rask if the ringmaster doesn't release him. Apparently, the black book that we saw in the circus isn't the real watch list. It's just a prop. The ringmaster has a special pen, and when she uses it, the real watch list gets updated. You're telling me she's got a magic pen that writes in a different book, James said. Is Elf making all this up? In case you've forgotten, Jenny said, we literally flew across town tonight. A magic pen that writes in a different book is something that we can do with mobile phones right now. Jenny was right. It sounded like the ringmaster had everything worked out. They started up the road with Elf's old house on it. So where is the real watch list? James asked. 
Claudia thinks that the ringmaster keeps it close. The captured animals get transferred to the boats where Rask is imprisoned, before they're sailed away. And that's where she thinks the real watch list is. So the boat is here, James said, and that's where they'll take the Empress and the Falcon. I don't like any of this. We need to find the animals fast. And we've got no idea what's going to happen when the inspector gets involved. At the very least, Jenny said, it will mess up Elf's deal with the ringmaster. And at the worst, James asked. I don't want to think about it, Jenny said. We need to rescue the animals first, then we can worry about the ringmaster and the inspector. Tomorrow's Friday, James said, and the inspector wanted us to stay clear of the park until Sunday. So we'll get the gang together tomorrow night, Jenny said. James agreed, and he'd thought of just the place for the gang to meet.